We've been teaching a series called A New Way for a New Day about what Jesus taught, you know, basically the day before he was taken and arrested and then, you know, we know subsequently became our substitute and the world's substitute through death and through being whipped. And uh, so this last day or so, he's just teaching them how to live after he dies and rises again. And so we've been looking at that. And last week we talked about Jesus said, you know, I'm going to leave. You're going to have sorrow. I'm going to reappear. I'm going to rise from the dead. You're going to see me and your joy nobody will take away. He was talking about the joy of salvation. When you get saved, there's going to be a joy in you that never has to leave and not just leave, never be suppressed uh, never be fogged over. It can dominate your life forever. And we looked at that, that he was talking about that is salvation. But here's what you need to understand. This joy is not in your emotions. I've done this before, been praying. And, you know, as people would say, all hell broke loose, you know, or something like that. And then all of a sudden I had an answer and I knew it way down inside. And I had joy down there, but everything else, you know, you know, have you ever seen those cartoons, the old ones, where like they shoot missiles and they go, won't and stop right there? Anybody been praying and thought, whoa, they're all around. And then you look inside, but there's something else that's contrary to what you see. Jesus said joy and eternal life would be in you, bubbling up out of the inside of you like a well. And uh, so we talked about that. And so I want to go a little bit further about that. So turn to Ephesians 1 real quick, and we're going to go through a couple of verses and then go to John 16. This is what happened when we got this joy, this eternal life. See, this joy of, is called the joy of our salvation. It's called really the joy of being accepted by God, not by me, by God, not by somebody around you. Now, I should accept you, but God accepts you. There is joy inside when you know I'm no longer at odds with God. And you're not not at odds with God by your own major efforts. You're no longer at odds with God because of accepting what Jesus paid for. You can't work and be good enough to be no longer at odds with God. That's what the commandments in the Old Testament were given us to tell us nobody would be perfect enough. So there's a joy in being accepted. There's a joy of being clean and new in Christ. And, uh, but we do need to know that stuff will come to try to weigh that down, to get us to kind of approach life outside of joy and outside of God. And in all reality, when we get saved, we should not think that, okay, I got saved, but now I approach life outside of God through the efforts of men and just all my own efforts and stuff. Now, I understand working and learning and being a good worker and all that, but you still got to remember, you know, it's bigger than just me. There is another realm. There's a spiritual realm. There's evil things, but there's more angels for us, stronger than us, stronger and prevail against the devil, and there's a God bigger than all of them who's for us. You with me? Period. Period. Just read your Bible. Look at the covenant that belongs to us. It's in the New Testament. And you see that. 
And uh, so right here in Ephesians 1, we need to recognize that salvation that produces joy has some other things that are inherent in it that really just need to be in the bedrock of your life. You know what I mean by that? The foundation. Really the core of how you approach God. The core of how you approach life. You know, because some people don't approach life properly. They're saved, but then layoffs start happening. And they're like, what am I going to do? They haven't even got laid off yet. They're approaching it all like it's on them. And they're the one who's determining everything. And they're not approaching life like I've joined forces with God. And he works on my behalf. And they don't really approach and live life with what salvation brings. And maybe because they don't know, and maybe because they're with a group of people that when lunch hits and they go to the break room and they're all sitting in there and it's on everybody's mind and everybody's mouth. What am I going to do? What are we going to do? And none of them have been laid off and they're all full of fear and worried. That's not how we're to approach life. Because then that's just me. And my life and your life is bigger than me and bigger than just you. There's a God factor. So Ephesians 1 verse 6 says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted into the beloved. I read it fast on purpose because I remember I used to read these when I first got saved and thought, to the praise of the glory of his grace. What in the world does that mean? There's a lot. I noticed that they were real big and they were like building from one to the other. And I knew they were in there on purpose, but if I knew what they meant, I didn't. I was like, well, what does this mean? And what does that mean? And how does that make sense? So when it says to the praise of the glory, to the praise of the glory of his grace, you could say it like this. We give thanks for the greatness of his gift. Or we praise because of the greatness of his gift. Because grace is a gifting. It's unearned. And glory is the magnitude of it. So you could just say to the praise. In other words, we go, whoa, for the greatness of his gift. Free gift. Unearned gift. Grace is something you cannot earn. That's why we need the grace of salvation. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't pray long enough. It's free. So when he said to the praise of the glory, to the praise or the gratitude for the greatness of this gift, by which, or by this gift, he made he. Notice that word there, he. Notice it doesn't say you or me. That's important. And it may seem like, come on, this is so simple. No, but it's super important because he said to the praise and thanks for the magnitude of this gift. What is the magnitude of the gift he's talking about? The gift he's talking about is right here. He made us, not just me, us accepted in the beloved. You do not make yourself accepted before God and in his family. There's nobody who can say, well, I've done good enough. 
I'm accepted. No, that's why it's to the praise of the magnitude of this incredible gift that he made me, he made me, people need to say that, he made me. No, let's try that again. He made me. me. We could do better than that. He made me. me. How many people are out there claiming to be a self-made man? Self-made millionaire. Oh, I'm just so good. No, he made me accepted. What does that mean? How many people try to approach God, who's a Christian, and just think, oh my goodness, he's ticked now. Um, I, I don't know if I can really talk to him. No, no, you don't make yourself accepted. He made you accepted. He made you accepted. He made me accepted in the blood. That's a gift. You know what a gift is? Something you pay for, right? You know, I, I've told you that dream I had where back at the old church, I, it was more of a nightmare that they would do pastor appreciation days. And then one day I had this dream where they did a pastor appreciation day. And for some reason they were honoring me, but I was the assistant pastor. And I was like, oh, okay. And so they brought out this car. And I've always not wanted a truck for the sake of back then because everybody will go, can I borrow your truck? You're the assistant pastor. Of course, you're supposed to every, loan your truck to everybody. And I didn't want a truck. And back before Hyundai was a real good car manufacturer, remember you get one super cheap, no guarantee, and they're blowing up right and left. Now they're like one of the top cars. So this dream was pre that. This is when they're about as equal as a Yugo. If you don't know what a Yugo is, they had nothing. They didn't have a heater. They had a rear window defroster. And people would say the reason they had that is so you could keep your hands warm when you push it after it breaks down. (laughs) So it wasn't a real good story. So they, in the dream, and you know how dreams turn bad or weird? So they got me a four-door Hyundai. Now today, different story. Back then, and I went, ooh. And then it was brown. I didn't want brown. No offense. I was like, ooh, it's brown, and it's four-door. But it's a gift, so I'm up in front of everybody. (laughs) You know, you got to act nice. And and then you know how things twist and change? It turned into a car with a truck bed. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, well, what do you think? I'm like, oh, thank you. And then right at the end, they said, and and I still remember, they're like, your payments are only $176 a month. And the whole time I had to act like, no, thank you. And I was like, now I got to pay for this. It's a truck, car that breaks down, which they don't now. And, uh, and all this, and I'm like, a color I don't want. And I'm like, oh. And they gave it to me as a gift. A gift. And I, every month I got to pay for it. Right? So, to the praise of the glory or the greatness of his gift, it was a gift. You don't pay for it monthly. So, next month, you don't have to pay to be accepted. So, he said, that's why it's such a glorious gift. Now, it doesn't say everybody will accept you. 
When you give your life to the Lord, not everybody in the world will accept you nor love you, but you will be accepted in the beloved. By God's standpoint, he's in love with you and he accepts you. And you have a right before him. Now turn to Galatians 3. Now we're talking about the basic idea of salvation. Galatians, the third chapter, just the book before, unless you're in a phone or an app, then look at Galatians 3. And um, notice this verse, and it's probably familiar to many people. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, the curse of the law was having a bunch of junk come on you like a penalty. In other words, you get out there, and then the curse comes on you, and it just affects your life miserably in all kinds of ways. It was the curse for breaking the law. But notice this. It says, Christ has redeemed me, us, just like he made us accepted. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. You could say it this way, he became a curse substitute. In other words, every time the curse should rightfully come upon you, which is sickness and disease and poverty and you know, hard relationship with God. Because they talk about the heavens being brass. You ever heard that term, the heavens being brass? Actually, redemption from the curse is redemption from that. So we should never talk like, oh, the heavens are brass. No, because we're redeemed from the curse. Why are you redeemed from the curse? Because Christ became a curse substitute. How? It says, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So he became a curse. What was the purpose of him becoming a curse for you and for me and every believer so that when bad should come, good can be there and that his blessing is on you? Technically, even living free from sin, living free from bondage, it's all included in this. But notice it says, verse 14, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. That's the non-Jewish people because the blessing was theirs if they obeyed. We had no right to it. Now he said it comes on us in Christ Jesus. Why can the blessing of God be upon your life when you have done wrong? Because when it should be falling on you, it fell on Christ. He became the curse. So that the blessing is a fixture on your life. When you approach a problem, remember I said, don't approach work like, uh-oh, layoff time. Approach it in your mind and in your heart. I'm blessed. Not because I'm blessed, but because his blessing is on me. Because notice, Anybody can go read about Abraham and just go read his life and see the tremendous blessing that just existed when he got the raw end of the deal numerous times, but he just kept going higher, faster, stronger, more blessing. But he believed in the blessing that was on him. And notice he said, so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that they might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. 
we need to recognize this. We were first accepted by the gift of Jesus. It's a grace gift. And then also, not only are we accepted, but we have a blessing on our life. And we call it the Abraham blessing because the Bible says it's the Abraham blessing or the blessing that was on Abraham. So we all know, or if you're a little bit older, you know this. I don't know if people still talk like this. Oh, those Jewish people, you know, they're just blessed. Serious. People talk like that. They're just blessed. You know, because they're, you know, this, and they're just blessed. They're, they're always blessed. Isn't it interesting how many people know that? Why are those people of Israel, of Abraham's descendant, blessed? Because God's blessing is upon them. And we all rightly declare it, right? Or people do. Oh, yeah, they're a Jewish person. Well, they're just blessed. But really, it's God's blessing that he inferred on Abraham that goes through all his seed or his descendants, all the tribes and children. Because they're part of the family, that blessing can function in their life. You know who was in that family? Jesus. So Jesus, that blessing of Abraham's on him. He lived like it. But here's the other side. Anybody who gets saved is now accepted in Jesus, and we're in Jesus. So he said, now the blessing of Abraham is on you in Christ. That's startling. Well, you know, I'm just poor. You know, just me, I'm poor. Poor me. I'm just poor. You may not have money, but that doesn't mean you're not blessed and doesn't mean you can't move up from where you're at. And it's not just about money. It was about every area, how his family was affected, how his descendants were affected, how his cattle were affected. It affected all kinds of different things. Here's an interesting thought. I wasn't going to talk about this. But we talk about this blessing and, you know, that's on people. But, you know, there is a scripture that talks about this blessing. And it says that God delights in the prosperity of his people. How many of you ever heard that? He delights in the prosperity. So God delights in this blessing working on our lives. But do you know that part of that verse said, let them continually say, the Lord delights in the prosperity of his servants. You know how many people are not pleased that people prosper? And a lot of people aren't saying it, but God said, you are to continually say that I'm pleased when you're blessed. God's pleased that you're blessed. Is he a good father? Most of us know when we get to heaven, we're going to be blessed beyond means. And it won't just be because you have a mansion, gold floors, gold streets, different layers of precious stones. It'll be about peace. It'll be about joy. It'll be about no more sorrow, no more pain. You go look at the curse and the blessing in this 
and you recognize it covers that kind of stuff. Though we will get old and we will go on to the other side if the Lord does not come back before we live out our length of days. But we need to recognize if he said, we need to continually say, boy, some people, that'd be a tough day. Oh, the Lord's pleased that I'm blessed. When you hear stuff like, you just got to be poor and proud of it. Wait a second, where does it say that? You know, for me, I just don't need anything. That doesn't matter if you need it or not. You're blessed. Period. This is going over much better than I thought. I thought there'd be a warm welcome, but I didn't know it'd be this warm. Why am I saying this? Because we're talking about salvation and we're about to read the very next verse about this joy. And when we approach God, we need to have a certain attitude of heart. I'm back, God. I don't know if you want this to do something good in my life and been so rotten. You know, you talk like that when you approach God. You know why you talk like that? You think like that. And maybe you're just entertaining some lies. Probably ought to call it what it's called. And God's not thinking like, oh great, it's Sally again, guys. Lock the china cabinet. She may check her purse to make sure she didn't take the salt shaker. Take, don't get out the good stuff. It was plasticware. He didn't think like that about any of us. He made us accepted, so his posture is, oh man, I look forward to talking to them. I love them. And then when people grovel around and act like, you know, oh God, I don't know if you want this good. Before you came, his blessing is on you. He probably gets bummed when we approach him grovelly like that. What if your kids came and started going, please don't hit me, please don't. And you're like, I don't hit you. Ah, you're just, yeah, I know. You're not going to put razor blades in the peanut butter and jelly, are you? You never did it before. And you're thinking, what is wrong with that? And you're thinking, that's not me. And how many people approach God not realizing we're fully accepted because of Jesus and fully, when we've done wrong, the blessing's still there. The curse is not there. Though that may not be taught, it's true. It's taught in the Bible. So when I go to approach him, I'm not like, oh, God, you know, I've done... Quit bringing up all the wrong you did. Say, oh, God, I'm so glad Jesus became a curse for all those wrongs. So when the, the penalty should have come, the blessing is still there. So when I come to you, here we go, God. We need to have a talk. And you're not like cowering. No, you need to come thinking, the blessing of Abraham is mine. You need to continually say, he's for my prosperity. But a lot of people weigh their life based on what they did and have been doing. Well, let me ask you this. Is that how you got saved? Well, if I can get good enough. When I recommitted my life in 1985, I tried to get better to be accepted. And I realized it didn't work. So finally, I just said, I surrender. And you know how good that was? He was able to work. 
because it wasn't me and my works. It was me trusting in the greatness of his gift. It's a fact. So when we go to pray, what does God look at us like? How does he see us? Now John 16. You ready? This is right after this salvation, the blessing of God being upon your life. Somebody said, I haven't seen the blessing. Start talking it. Start thinking it. Start believing it. Most people are where they're at because they've been talking wrong. Because they've been believing wrong for so long. they got to turn the ship around. And the Bible said the tongue is like the rudder on a ship. It's a little thing, but it can guide your whole life. And a lot of people have said, I don't need to be blessed. All I need is this. But it doesn't matter what you said you need. It doesn't matter what you said you want. It matters what he said you are. And he said, I put the blessing on you. Whether you want it or not, it's on there. Whether you release it or not is a different thing. Or hinder it because you're like, well, that's just not for me. That's not mine. Or I'll try to, okay, I'll try to get it. He didn't say try to get it. He said it's on you when you get saved. Period. You can think totally anti Well, I just don't know that God wants us to have anything. Well, yeah, I know when you get to heaven, he's going to give you an old tent tore up from the wind. Dirty sleeping bag somebody left behind that was there before and moved on to another part of heaven. Be careful when you turn that corner, there's a big hole, you'll fall in. It's not like that. So why does this character change? It doesn't. We need to recognize the way he looks at us not the way religion taught us, but the way the Bible teaches. Like one man used to say, so many people are religiously taught, brainwashed instead of New Testament taught. And so John 16, you ready? Boy, hopefully we don't lose anybody now. Hold on, just hold on. John 16, because we do need to recognize he became a punishment. In the Old Testament, they would continually, year after year, the Bible said, offer sacrifices to take away sin, but it said it couldn't do it in Hebrews. Couldn't do it. So it said that Christ came, and the reason why he only had to die once, and not like those animals, die every year, the reason why he only had to do it once, it said because those animals could never remove the sin. But he did it one to take away all sin. He paid for all your sins. Even the ones you don't even know you're going to commit in six years from now. Oh, I don't like that kind of teaching. Well, it doesn't matter. You think he's going to go die again? No, because it's not just that he forgave you of the act. That's what people need to realize. What forgiveness does and his payment, it changes you internally. It makes you no longer a sinner. It gives you eternal life. And it washes you and keeps you clean before him. So when he looks at you, he looks at you clean by the work of Jesus. Hear only those words. Because sometimes, you know, I want to go forward here. And I recognize some people are like, yeah, but you know what I've done lately? You focus maybe too much on yourself. It's okay to examine yourself. But you do need to recognize he paid for this for me to be clean. 
So I'm not going to go live that. I'm going on, and he has accepted me. And so when I approach him, I am approach. I mean, some people are afraid to die and go to heaven, and they're saved. I'm thinking, uh-oh, what's he going to be like when I get there? He's going to be ticked off at me. If there's anybody he's going to be mad at, it's going to be me. I've been waiting for you. Great. I was hoping I'd live another five years. And he's going to be like, so good to see you. And you're like, you're going to be checking your name badge. Maybe they gave me the wrong badge. Maybe he's reading the name wrong and he's thinking, I'm Fred instead of Dave. And you're like, well, it's the right name badge. It must be the wrong last name. You, you know who I am? He said, yep, I know who you are. And there's other people who say, just shut up. We came to the same realization too. But that's not his character. He's, he can never forget anything, but the Bible said he will not remember. Wills. And he's better at it than you. Thank you. John 16. You ready? Verse 23. Because we're accepted, we have a right to pray. This is part of the new day thing. John 16, verse 23 and then I'm going to read verse 24. Then I'm going to skip and read 25 and read 26 and 27. Notice this. Remember, verse 22 was that joy of salvation. I'll just read 22. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, now here's where we want to look, verse 23. And in that day, after he's risen and you've received him, you will ask me nothing. You will not pray to me anymore. Because back then, the disciples would ask Jesus questions all the time. He said, when I rise again, you're no longer going to ask me anything. Why? Because he's going to be our life and our Lord. He's going to be our advocate before God. But he's actually, we're going to see, our privilege to get our prayers answered. Let's read on. Most assuredly, or absolutely, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Notice, until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Remember when he taught him to pray in Luke 11? Our Father who art in heaven. He never said, pray to the Father in my name. That right and privilege had not been provided yet. In other words, it's like approaching based on the authority of Jesus, not your own authority. See, you're accepted on his authority, not your own authority. The blessing of Abraham is on you, on his authority, not your own authority. It's all by his grace. And so he said, until now you have asked me nothing. Or asked nothing in my name of the Father. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Notice verse 26. In that day, you will ask, and now remember, this is all approaching based on being accepted, his blessing being upon you. How many people talk themselves out of things when they're approaching God? Well, God, you know I haven't been good this week. You know I haven't been good today. Well, you know I wasn't good five minutes ago. Sorry, Lord, I just had another bad thought. I know I don't deserve this. That is not a good way to approach what is freely given to you as a gift. 
in that day, verse 26, what day? The day after I rise from the dead and you receive me. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray to the Father for you. How many people, when they're going in life, think, I, you know, I haven't, been, uh, I haven't been the best this week. Would you pray for him, to the God for me so he'd do this for me? How many people think like that? This is Jesus' answer to that right here. He said, don't think I'm going to pray and ask God to do this for you. Somebody's like, great. <laughs> Notice there's more to the verse. He said, in that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I shall pray to the Father for you. In other words, I'm not going to be joining in and praying for you, too. Like, will you help me, Lord, talk to him? You know, will you go with me before mom and dad? Let's go ask them. Come with me. No, go by yourself. You're like, oh, I can't do that. I'm done. He said, don't think I'm going to go pray for you. Verse 27, for the Father himself loves you. You don't need me to. Because God loves you. Another place, he prayed in this whole transition teaching so they would know that God loved them as much as he loved Jesus. And the same thing is true with us because he said he prayed it for all people that would receive him. He said, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. We could say it like this, because you received him, be God accepted, got the blessing of God on you, God loves you. Just like he loves Jesus because you received Jesus. And he said, and have believed that I came from God. Interesting that he said the way to pray is talk to the Father. He'll answer you just flat out because he loves you. And he doesn't love you because you measure up to a standard. It's he loves you because you have received Christ. And he washed you. He made you accepted. And he put his blessing on you. How bold could you pray? How many people are unbold because they think of all that they've done right or wrong? And that's a failure way to approach prayer because God doesn't even look at that. All that does is empty myself of confidence. Which the confidence should come not by my own works, but he made me accepted. He put his blessing on me. I ride. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, or 366 in case. There aren't. With the blessing of God on me. So when I go to pray, God goes, man, I love you. And Jesus said, just ask in my name, and he'll give it to you, and then your joy that nobody can take will overflow. You'll see answers. You'll get things in your life. And so I'm going to close with this thought. Somebody might say, well, you know, I just haven't done that well. You know, I just I haven't really hit the ball out of the park with this Christian walk. Well, you just have to look at Jesus' words and Jesus' teaching. We all know the story of the prodigal child. He was still a child, but he had been living wrong, right? 
Anybody know the story? He was out there living riotous living. He was with harlots, prostitutes. He was doing stuff he shouldn't have been doing. He was partying, wasting what should have been used in different things on wrong living. And he said, you know what? He got to the bottom of the barrel and was eating pig slop and said, I could go back to my father referring to like God. It's a picture of that. And I could at least eat what the servants eat, and it'll be better than where I'm at now. So it said, he said, when I go back, I'm going to repent, I'm going to say all this. But it said the father kept watching for him to come. How many people think God's looking for you to come, or us just to talk, to hang out? Oh, I can't hang out with him right now. I've just been doing wrong. No, he paid for you to be accepted. I know that will bug people. But this story is plain. He comes back and he's like, I don't want to be this. I don't want to be your child. I'll just be a slave. And I'll get this. And, the, and his father said, oh, no, you don't. And put this, this insignia ring on, which means he got all the family rights immediately. Then he killed a fatted calf, had a full-blown party. Then the brother, the religious one, who didn't know his brother had come home, comes and finds him having a party, and his father's like, man, the son was dead. He was like dead to me. He's, he's back and gets all his privileges like that. And the other brother's like, hey, he don't measure up. He basically said, look at all that I'm doing. He hadn't done none of that. How come he's got all the privileges? Well, we could say it like this because we're all blessed with the blessing of Abraham. The curse came upon Jesus so it didn't have to come on you so you could live under the blessing. So when you would go approach God when you pray, he would hear you and answer because he flat loves you. The interesting thing is the legalistic brother who felt like he measured up was kind of not a little pleased with his other brother. God said he's got all the privileges and here's what he said to him. He said, listen. He said, you never killed me a fatted calf. You never did this for me. He said, you could have done that for yourself anytime you wanted to. How many people have the blessing of God on them and get upset when they see it on somebody else? And God's like, you could activate the blessing in your life anytime you want to. I'm not going to get up and kill a fatted calf for you every week. You get up and partake. That's what he said. He said, it's all there for you. You could have done it anytime you wanted to. Say, what? It didn't matter. He's still mad at his other brother. He should have said, right on. Talk to you later. Killed two, three, invite everybody. But he didn't. Here's the thing. We need to recognize God's character. If you're saved, you're accepted. You don't have to struggle to be forgiven. He became a curse, so you're clean. Then you don't have to struggle now to be blessed. Well, I'll be good. No, his blessing's on you, and you need to declare his goodness continually and that he delights in the fact that I prosper. But how many people don't say things like that, and then they wonder why? Now, you may not like what I just got done saying, but it's in the Bible. So don't take up issue with me. You just go talk to God and say, I got a problem with this thing about this blessing. Go study for yourself and prove me wrong. And you'll find, wow, he was introduced as the Lamb of God that would just take away sin. And he didn't even say if you work real hard about it. 
And he didn't even say you had to have a good attitude about it. And he didn't qualify. He said he'll do that. He was the one who said, you're already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. The issue is, do you approach God the way he approaches you? Do you accept yourself in the kingdom like he accepts you? Because you're in, and there's no need to sit in the corner, so to speak. I knew you guys would be excited about this. Like I've said before, just save all your shouts and amens till the end. Just let them all out at once. We're blessed. You're blessed. Whether you like it or not. And if you say anything else, you should wash your mouth out with soap. Sorry, Lord, I said, I said I wasn't blessed. I'll wash my mouth out with soap. You know why they would wash your mouth out with soap? Some people don't know that this is a common method in the United States for using wrong words. Wash your mouth out with soap. Anybody remember that? Today? Oh, you might get in trouble. But they wash your mouth out with soap. You know why they did that? So you'd get such a yucky taste in your mouth, you would not say that again. You need a yucky taste in your mouth when you start talking about how you're not accepted and how you're not blessed and how God doesn't love you and how he doesn't look at you like this and he won't answer your prayers and it's just not time for me and maybe if the Lord would pray for me, it'd be better off. You need to wash your mouth out. Get a yucky taste. That is not it. Nope, he accepts me. He loves me. And it's not about labor. It's about grace. Amazing works. How great the sound. You would think that's the song. We sing Amazing Grace and we shed a tear. We turn to people, favorite song. One of them. Amazing Grace. Oh, I couldn't believe we got to the third song we sang Amazing Grace. I was like, I think I'm going to heaven right now. And then they live their life by works. Okay, now it's not funny anymore. <laughs> but it's the truth. What if we realize God made us accepted and God put his blessing on us and he created us to live a certain way in life? There is a real truth here. 